Inflation continues to fall off a cliff with CPI dropping below expectation yesterday. PPI doing the same thing today. Any other three letters you can think of that represent inflation probably going down. But the Fed still going to tighten. We're seeing massive exuberance in the stock market. People dunking on bears. Everybody excited. Tech is going to the moon. I'm starting to sell stocks, honestly. Today, I kind of hit the wall. And I'm going to tell you why. But why, even though I'm thinking about selling a lot of stock, I'm still very bullish on crypto. I've got two amazing guests today. I've got James Stickland from Elwood. And also at the back end, we got Dan from The Chart Guys. We're going to discuss all of this and more. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and drop an elbow on that like button. Yes, I think it's possible at this point in time and at almost any other point in time to be bearish on one asset class and still be bullish on another asset class. As you can see in the title, Bitcoin to pump in coming months. We'll talk about that's coming from a story of a survey by PricewaterhouseCoopers of a number of crypto hedge funds. Basically, the expectation consensus is that prices will be higher by the end of the year in crypto. And maybe that will be the case with stocks too, but I bought a whole lot of tech stocks three X ago and I'm done. Doesn't mean I'm selling my long-term investment portfolio. Doesn't mean that I'm liquidating everything, but I bought Meta at a hundred bucks and it's at like $300 now. And I don't even like Mark Zuckerberg. So yeah, I'm going to sell a whole bunch of meta stop. I already have market orders when the market opens today. Why? Because everybody's dunking on bears. There's massive exuberance in the market. The Fed, let's celebrate the Fed. Jerome Powell is the best. They did a perfect job. I'm literally hearing that. The soft landing is coming. Meanwhile, Europe's already into a recession and we know that the United States is going to enter one. And as Mike McGlone likes to say, don't fight the Fed. And the only thing the Fed has ever said is we're still going to tighten. People out there still believing that the very fact that they paused means that they're pivoting. I'm very vocal. I will die on the hill of a pause is not a pivot. That was proven pretty quickly now that the Fed is literally saying they're going to continue raising rates. Now, yes, maybe that 50, 75 bips is already priced in. But guys, everything, I was going to do this later, but like everything, everything is overbought. First of all, if you want to see why I can still be bullish on Bitcoin and bearish on all these other things, it's not correlated to anything. S&P, gold, dollar index, VIX. Bitcoin is between minus 0.2 and 0.2, uncorrelated. You can have your feelings. You can think about how you want to trade. There's facts, right? Correlation is determined on a scale of minus one. One, it's math. And if you're anywhere close to zero, you are uncorrelated assets. Hey, take a look. Look, QQQ. This is obviously... Uh, Investor QQQ Trust that represents the NASDAQ, massively overbought, putting in potential bearish divergence. DXY falling off a cliff, which should make you bullish on stocks. Remember, this is still support right here. So I'm not getting excited until we start seeing closes, but that could change my mind. SPX, massive bearish divergence, overbought on RSI, running out of steam. RSI lower every single time the market pumps higher and currently putting in on this daily chart, potentially an evening star there. Talking about meta, the most overbought it's been since 2013. 
right here. Overbought since 2013, jumping to 312 pre-market right now. I am selling that shit. I bought it at $100 down here. By the way, I also bought some at 230 on the way down when it hit this weekly 200 MA. That was dumb, or was it? Still up massively on those buys. Yeah, no bearish divergence here, but RSI is over 80, over 80 here on the weekly for Meta. It can stay there a long time, guys. We can see a massive pump still, a massive blow off top, but I see this as a time to start taking profit. Reviewing some news really quickly, and then I want to bring on James. Google Play changes policy on tokenized digital assets, allowing NFTs in apps and games. I think this is absolutely huge, especially as we see the App Store on Apple kicking everyone off, including Noster, not allowing anyone to include any uh, NFTs or any way to make money without paying Apple, the mafia, their 30%. But yeah, Google now changing their policy, going to allow NFTs in apps and games. Elon Musk's new ChatGPT competitor boosts AI-related crypto tokens. Once again, people in crypto are completely redacted. And if they see the word AI in the mainstream news, they buy a whole bunch of crypto garbage that says AI in it, and it goes up, and then you get dumped on, and you have fun staying poor. But Elon Musk, yes, going to fight ChatGPT, of, by the way, which he was one of the major funders of when it was a not-for-profit originally, because he's going to maybe build TruthGPT. But yes, he's forming a company called XAI. We're cooking through this. Even as inflation risk fades, Bitcoin remains stuck below 31K. That's because it's an uncorrelated asset, guys. This is not bad news. This is good news. For once, we're seeing the stock market go crazy on news, CPI, PPI, all these things, and Bitcoin just remaining flat. Maybe that's because the United States government is sending Silk Road Bitcoin to Coinbase and they're going to sell and dump on you. That already happened in March and the market didn't move at all, and you didn't even know about it when it was happening. So I don't buy that narrative. I think it's complete crap. I think it's complete garbage. Also, the irony of the United States government on one side attacking Coinbase, saying that they're selling unregistered securities, the SEC cracking down on them, but the United States government literally using Coinbase to sell their Bitcoin should not be lost on anyone. Mike Novogratz says BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF points toward coming adoption. I could go through what he's saying, but no shit, Sherlock. And finally, crypto hedge funds expect digital assets will be up by the end of the year. This is why we say Bitcoin to pump in the coming months is a survey from Price Waterhouse Coopers. Pretty big company. Pretty big company. Basically saying that the large amount of people surveyed believe that the assets will be up by the end of the year. And then we're going to see a whole lot more crypto hedge funds coming into the market. Tried to unpack that really quickly so I could bring on James. We're going to do that right now. James, oh, I, for some reason, I'm seeing a black uh, screen for James. Can you guys see James? James, can you? Oh, there you are. He appeared. StreamYard's tripping. How are you, man? Hi. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's the jet lag of London. Yeah, the, 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 I have jet lag, and apparently StreamYard, which I use for streaming, also has jet lag because it brought you up as a black screen there for a second. I was saying to you before, I love London, but what the F with the traffic, man? Look, look, it's a beautiful place. You know, crypto regulators are fabulous, but but nobody can resolve the traffic, right? We, I think we are we're at one of those periods of the year where we have to spend all the hard-earned taxpayers' council money on on breaking up the roads and starting them again. So yeah, apologies for for our London traffic. I mean, what's crazy is that you just have ways and it tells you 30 minutes and then you go 30 minutes and it still says 30 minutes then you go 30 more minutes and it still says 30 minutes and you also can't get an uber a taxi 
you guys even have a system like the lights on, the lights off, it's blue, it's green, and there's always somebody in the cab every time? <laughs> Look, I think there's uh, there's a desire to drive people to uh, to ride bikes. I think that's the uh, underlying uh, message in architecture is to make I like that. Public transportation is so complex, everyone rides a bike like Amsterdam. Oh, wow. I just saw this, guys. Just uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, break this news, but Alex Mashinsky uh, was arrested. Uh, which I, I don't know if you saw that, but this happened apparently in the last uh, 45 minutes or so. Uh, SEC sued Mashinsky, Celsius, and New York federal court, and Mashinsky arrested. We'll dig into that a bit more later. But listen, that's uh, enough about London and enough about Alex Mashinsky's face. Uh, what do you what do you make of the news that uh, Bitcoin's going to pump in the coming months? Hedge funds uh, reopening, everybody getting in, uh, prices looking good, bullish market. What do you think? Yeah, look, I'm, you know, clearly, you know, I would say, right, but I'm I'm equitably a believer of the same. I think, you know, the PwC report is is pretty good, uh, you know, pointing direction of travel. I think, you know, there's there's a lot of appetite that we're certainly seeing from traditional players now, you know, launching and getting ready to launch, you know, either digital sleeves of their funds or dedicated digital, you know, offerings. So I think that, you know, this next second, you know, second half of 23, I think is, has got all the kind of green shoots that we like. And again, not to be, you know, sort of insular or maximist on our, you know, we're genuinely saying that people are are getting ready, that they're, they're actually getting ready the right way this time around, I think, by, you know, by building and, and asking the right questions of the counterparties and all that kind of jazz. But the reality is, you know, funds are going to be trading and, and the price is definitely uh, going north of 30K, you know, with BTC. Let's, let's see if it's 50 again, right? So, yeah, I mean, do you think that, 50 is possible. A bank over in your uh, hometown, Standard Chartered, said they think 50 by the end of the year, and then they revised up from 100 to 120 for the end of 2024. So we are seeing some bullishness. The thing that gets, listen, I, I gave this whole speech at the beginning about this uh, exuberance. It's making me cautious in stocks. We're starting to get a little exuberant in crypto as well. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, you know, I think, you know, you're right. I heard the, heard the opening remarks. You know, there's a there's a lot of opportunity to be buying at this point. Um, you know, I think, you know, standard charts are a pretty good bellwether for for the focus. They're obviously, you know, big into the, the ecosystem, be it as a investor, you know, and or a portfolio kind of player. You know, they're investing in infrastructure themselves with, you know, the Zodias, which has all been very public. Um, so I think that, you know, you know, banks that, that have that strong uh, UK and Asia divide are also a good, um, you know, indication of where some of the opportunity may come over the next six to nine months as well. Yeah, I, I think I tend to agree with that. So do you think that all of this bullish sentiment is really just on the black, back of BlackRock? It seems that like the sentiment has changed across the board, but only a week before that news was announced, we were talking about the SEC cracking down on Binance, the SEC cracking down on Coinbase. It's over in the United States. Now, all of a sudden, we get this one fundamental piece of news, and it seems it changed everybody's sort of mood about the industry, including institutions across the board. Like, we got this stamp of approval from the biggest name we possibly could. Yeah, and look, it is a monstrous, you know, stamp of approval, as, as you know, right? You know, you're still in the U.S. as a as a major corporation, and you're giving, you know, credibility and credence to, to the asset class. And, you know, I think it's it's fantastic. You know, then, as you rightly say, the ripple effect of that means that maybe the market can't quite react in the same positivity in the U.S. because of the regulatory landscape, which is still un- you know unwinding its position and making its calls. But the rest of the world can react like a you know tsunami at the other end of that from a wave standpoint. So you know, so London and Europe, you know, bodes very well from that basis. And then again, as I mentioned, you know, Hong Kong's coming back. There's a huge amount of 
trading transaction and, and firms setting up in that region now, money coming back into Hong Kong from Singapore even. Um, and I think that, you know, those two uh, specific locations of Singapore and Hong Kong will be huge beneficiaries of that kind of news. Yeah, I, I agree. And now actually we've just seen that the Lummis Gillibrand bill, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but obviously it was proposed last year and that they've kind of come in now with a, I guess they were calling it a leaner and meaner version. I actually, I got to find the uh, image. But uh, I mean, it's pretty pretty compelling that we're getting again on the Senate floor now uh, talk of Bitcoin and crypto assets because it seemed like they were not willing to even float legislation for a while there uh, after FTX. But we've seen, obviously, in Congress, we're getting a markup on the digital markets bill, stablecoin, and now the Senate. And it's a Wyoming Republican and a New York Democrat coming together, which means this could be bipartisan. So do you think that even in the face of this regulatory crackdown by the SEC, we could actually get some sensible regulation? Maybe the United States is not a lost cause. <laughs> Look, we all hope not, right? You know, you know, long, long may it be uh, the sort of, you know, the land of the free and, and, and the land of the opportunity too, right? I think if, if it gets solved in a, you know, in a sort of regulated standard approach, they're like the, this thing goes, you know, literally bananas to your point. And if it doesn't, it'll just take a little longer. I think the regulatory landscape with the SCA is is very progressive, you know, obviously with what's going on in the Middle East as well. Um, you know, the exchange is there, the the license is being issued. Like the other regions are, you know, are reacting, you know, opportunistically with the with the US kind of, you know, a little paralyzed with its thought process. So I think it's in the interests of the, the you know, the US Senate to your point and the US regulators to to make a call and make a call quickly so that actually they can they can benefit from this market trading opportunity. So yeah, we're uh, we're uh, you know beneficiaries of a global market, and and obviously we can operate you know under the right regulatory jurisdictions that we're all working in. But yeah, I think the market wills and wishes for the U.S. to make its call and and to jump in. Yeah, just for people who haven't heard about it, the Lummis Gillibrand Responsible Financial Innovation Act of 2023. This is the fact sheet. Just I'm going to give you guys the quick thing, and we're going to move on. Crypto assets within the regulatory perimeter, basically saying crypto assets are here to stay, regulating crypto asset, asset exchanges, but to note, they want them to register with the CFTC, not the SEC. So this is a push against Gary Gensler and the SEC and their overreach. Safeguards consumers, we'll see how they do that, but sounds good. Promotes responsible innovation, basically saying we don't want all this innovation to go offshore, we do want it to stay in the United States. Securities and commodities, upholds the Howey test governing the presence of an investment contract, that one to me is going to be interesting because nobody seems to be able to figure out what the Howey uh, test actually says about crypto and investment contracts. Combats the use of crypto for listed finance. Obviously, this one's a head scratcher. We'll have to see what it means. Really requires payment stable coins to be issued by depository institutions. What that means for Tether or existing stable coins will be a big question and appropriations and taxation, obviously. So I, actually, I want to ask you, what do you think of that stable coin language there? Look, I think it's, yeah, yeah. look, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's. I think I lost James there for a minute. I don't know if you guys did. Let me see. Did you guys lose James? Okay, there. Oh, sorry. I was was saying that I think there's a, there's a huge lean towards financial institutions being able to mint their own coins, which I think is, you know, you know, very valuable. You've seen obviously JP Morgan with its, you know, with its kind of approach here, but actually there's a, there's a global opportunity for for financial uh, you know firms to actually mint their own coins and actually use them as a as a stablecoin basis, which we would all be again be you know be wildly beneficiary of because there's a an existing infrastructure that it can reside on. 
I actually genuinely, you know, whilst there's a, I'm sure a bunch of, you know, very sort of edge case people that would love this to be an alternative asset class that doesn't, you know, administer the, the same standards. But actually, I think we're all beneficiaries of it being the same regulated fashion, the same rails um, and in terms of process that, that we can operate under. So, you know, we're seeing- I largely agree. I just wonder, what do you think it means for those that were not necessarily issued by a depository institution in the past? Like, do we think that Tether gets a pass in this or is this basically says- Yet again, it'll be like Tether go operate everywhere else. United States, we get USDC, okay. or, or or banks start to issue their own stable coins. To your point, which I think is exactly what would happen. But this will be just like JP Morgan Coin or any of those things. They'll do them themselves. They'll be on private blockchains. They'll use it for settlement. And yeah, and look at you know, so long as and it's always there's always always a caveat, right? But you know, so long as there are there's enough uh, KYC and AML around you know Tether, and they can look at the history and, and get comfortable with. The utilization of it then then it should be brought into the you know the standards approach right and, and maybe even becomes a consortium type opportunity for for banks to come together right you know why wouldn't you use a framework that's pretty solid as long as you say you know as long as the sort of existing rails are there to to administer to make sure that you know nothing's monstrously fraudulent over the last you know insert number of years then it can be play a big role if not to your point it ends up getting sort of pushed a bit further out to the you know, to the uh, to the edges from an operational standpoint, and and is used a bit more as an on ramp, off ramp for different you know regulatory jurisdictions and countries. While banks then kind of you know take the take the uh, the fast lane um, and uh, and start you know minting themselves, and and that becomes the you know the dedicated replacement. I I tend to agree. I think it's interesting that Tether could get basically pushed offshore, but has made billions of dollars because they're buying U.S. Treasuries. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, it's quite frightening what the you know the end products of some of these uh, you know things can occur, right? But uh, the stranger things have happened, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree. So listen, let's just focus more in on Elwood, obviously, what you guys are doing because you have more insight into how this has looked throughout the bear market. I had you on, I can't remember, it must have been last summer. Yeah, and we talked about sort of how we were in a crypto spring. Uh, I think we both pointed out that spring didn't mean that it was summer and things were beautiful. Spring can be really shitty weather, right? You live in London, you know, better than anyone else. But that was before FTX, right? So uh, we had sort of this black swan event. Things went down. I still don't think it really discounts what we were saying because it only took two months for Bitcoin price to bounce back from the FTX lows. But what have you seen from institutions throughout that uh, winter, spring, whatever we're going to call it? And what's happening now, and then how has Elwood built throughout that time? Look, I, I mean, to your point, yes, we, we've certainly seen the continuation of of of, uh, of engagement from institutions. Yes, it's slowed things down. Absolutely, I think we've all seen that with you know with the trading notional volumes that are in the market in general, um, and obviously that you know there was an immediate you know sort of eight week kind of process post the post the FTX issues. What I think it's, it's certainly done, though, is accelerated everybody's process in terms of you know, building correctly and building appropriately. So the demands now on the liquidity providers that they're working with and the counterparties that they're working with are what they should have been probably two years ago. Like, do people segregate their assets? Do they, you know, conduct financial audits on themselves? Do they have independent, you know, confirmation of the reserve assets that they're holding? Like all the things that you'd expect in finance, which were kind of ignored is maybe a strong word but certainly pushed to the edges because everyone was in a race to to trade and, and and be active in the market i think those best practices have now come back very vehemently in 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 today's world 
you know, the, the offer of free credit around the world is, has certainly dried up, you know, and obviously that's a macro position as well as a, a digital position. And I also think the, the sort of nomenclature of the way that people describe digital assets versus crypto, you know, is also a very sort of, you know, visible event too. So it's amazing how many banking clients we talk to that say we don't do crypto, but we, we absolutely do digital assets. Um, and absolutely. It, you know, the insanity yeah. that may come with that is, is by the by, but the reality is, you know, they're at least, uh, they're at least now on the same page. I mean, I've always joked that we have a vernacular problem anyways. I actually think we've needed to sort of uh, shed the idea of cryptocurrencies for a very long time because 99% of them have no intention of being currencies in any way, shape, and form. I think the idea of them being currencies actually is what makes them a threat to institutions and to central uh, banks and to governments, and that's just not what it is, right? So uh, I think that that's a good thing that we're starting to talk about them as digital assets. Yeah, look, it is. And and I think that at least it gives, to your point, gives people comfort. I mean, you know, we know, we all know that the reason why a lot of these things don't occur is because there's a lack of knowledge or ignorance or, you know, or, or distrust. And I think if people, and certainly in the historic banking ecosystem and, and even buy and sell side, can get comfortable with a digital asset ecosystem and benefit from the technology, then actually this becomes even more game time, even, you know, even quicker. Um, yeah, it is literally amazing how you walk into a, you know, number of firms and you say, we're, we're here to talk about, you know, crypto and they would show you the, the exit door and you walk in exactly the same presentation with exactly the same conversation saying we're able to manage your digital risk and they're literally, you know, rolling out the red carpet. So, you know, I think that we we all just need to be a bit more articulate with with what it is that it means today and, and what it will mean in terms of the next three to five years and, and how that advances, you know, financial uh, commerce. It's interesting because I think we went through this phase uh, in the bull market where risk managers were in the software position because they all hated crypto. And now if you're at an institution and you're a CFO or something, you walk into a meeting and every says, everyone says, what's your opinion on this asset class? And you have to actually be informed, which was a good thing. Then the reputational risk reversed again in the bear market to if you had been bullish, you probably are an asshole and you get fired. Now BlackRock and Larry Finker speaking positively about Bitcoin again, and you have to now have an opinion and it probably has to be bullish. Well, look, you know, it's nothing sexier these days than to be a risk manager, right? You know, it's not something that you would necessarily, uh, you know, be, be rolling into parties explaining, but, you know, the, they, they certainly get the, uh, uh, the plaudits when, uh, you know, when, when any room's, uh, you know, taking credit. So, that, you know, long may continue that, that they are now at least more aware. And again, through probably pain um, and some immediate pain that they've had to become aware of the asset class and how to weight it and, how to manage it most effectively and to your point you know what does it peg against um does it does it peg against anything and how can they kind of uh you know materialize it but now people are really understanding it better they're back testing they're modeling they're shocking they're deploying the same strategies that they may or may not have done in other asset classes and it's the familiarity that's now getting people sort of comfort that they can genuinely engage here you know actively which is what we're seeing with these fun launches yeah and the focus has been very, very clearly on Bitcoin. Uh, I, I think I was talking yesterday, exchange inflows over the past few weeks have gone up massively after a kind of decreasing for nine weeks, not unexpected after the BlackRock news. But it's been, it was like hundreds of millions in Bitcoin and like two million in ETH was a second, right? So the question is, is this now going to be a Bitcoin only thing? Or is this the usual beginning of the cycle where everything flows into Bitcoin, it kind of tops or gets boring, and then people start going down the risk curve to try to beat Bitcoin, and we see all, all coins 
I'll go out on a limb and say we're still going to see massive alt seasons just like in the past because humans don't change. <laughs> Look, I, I'd love to say it's not going to be the latter, but I think it's a large slog of the latter. I think the reality is, you know, people will look for all, you know, for hedges and arbitrage opportunities beyond Bitcoin. You know, maybe it's not 18,500 different, you know, coin universes that we've been used to over the last, you know, six, nine, 12 months while people have been spinning up left and right in the old coin world. You know, I, I think it rationalizes, certainly in terms of the volume. Um, and maybe it becomes, a, you know, a top 20, a top 15. You know, people really only care about, um, from a large volume trading perspective, a very small, much smaller universe now than they did a year ago and certainly than they did, you know, sort of two years ago. So I think, again, that sort of rationalization allows, you know, more liquidity depths, more opportunities and, and more inflows. Yeah. So, I mean, any final thoughts before I let you go? What you think is going to happen? I mean, are we really going to see this become a mainstream asset class adopted by institutions or are we just getting ahead of ourselves? No, look, I, I, you know, I would say this. So, you know, take it with the, um, with the pinch of salt that clearly everyone would expect me to say being in this world. But, but I think it becomes really game time. We've said it a year ago. I think that again, the, the five year acceleration of, of or collapse of time that, that would, would have gone on. Um, if we'd have ebbed forward and just had continued, you know, bull markets, is actually putting good guardrails around the asset class. So, you know, I think the regulatory landscape shapes up even more. I think the expectation on the CFI exchanges and the liquidity providers becomes standard. Um, and I think that we're all all operating with a far more grown up approach now. So now I genuinely think that we can put it across the ETFs of the Black Rocks of the world. We can have, you know, funds from across the world starting to enter here and you know, missing piece of the jigsaw once the US regulatory landscape, you know, kind of makes its call. It's all a security. Let's get on with it. Um, you know, I think it's uh, it's game time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And hell, that'd be good for your business. So let's hope that it happens, right? You guys are right. You guys are right there poised for this inflow of uh, institutional money and clients. So let's hope that it happens. Uh, but we have to see the BlackRock ETF proved, right? Absolutely. Look, you know, all from question mark. Then it's kind of taken for granted. If they, yeah, they've had 571 approvals and one rejection, but or if they get rejected, yeah. Look, and 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 if they get rejected, you know, which you know wouldn't be the first time that, that you know a process like this has been rejected. You know, it, it certainly feels like they have the conviction to go back again and and tweak the rel you know relative uh, you know uh, proposals and and make them fit the knee. Um, you know, obviously they've you know, a long, illustrious career of being able to do this, you know, and, and, and obviously having a CEO make a public statement that, that he, you know, believes in, you know, the direction of the asset class and the opportunity means they're going to go again and again, right? It's a bit like London traffic, you know, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think I was going to get there eventually. I'm going to be honest, man. Four, four and a half hours back from Silverstone on the, uh, on the last day. Oh yeah. Well, that's, I mean, look, you're insane. I mean, 50 miles, man. You should have been like, that's a bike ride. I, I could have literally walked. Yeah, no, I should have biked or, or, or helicoptered out. You know what they were charging for one person? Uh, we didn't even have the option, but on a helicopter, I think it was 7,500 pounds each way. It's insane. Mate. It's insane. Yeah, look, I mean, pillion, pillion passenger on motorbikes is the only way to get in and out of Silverstone. Yeah, I should have gotten one of those rickshaw guys, you know, oh, and so okay. sat in the back and listened to some loud house music and uh, taken a nice four-hour ride back to London. It would have been far, far more pleasant. James, thank you, man. Always a pleasure, guys. Everybody check out James. Think you're on LinkedIn and not Twitter, right? Yes, sadly, I am. Yeah. Cool. Check him out on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you, James. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, man.
Yeah, awesome. I, I mean, I think that the uh, institutional narrative is obviously very clear. Uh, no reason to fight it right now when you have Larry Fink on TV talking about how Bitcoin is a bullish asset and is here to stay and all. Uh, and, you know, guys, it's Larry Fink. It's BlackRock. I'm going to go ahead now. We're going to bring on charting man Dent from the chart guys. Dan, you probably missed the beginning of the stream, but I kind of had like this uh, come, come to God moment this morning and said, I'm selling a whole lot of stock. Yeah, I, I saw the headline headline of your tweet. Uh, I'm I'm interested to know what are just broad stocks or any specific. Uh, well, the, the, I, the, I should be specific. I said it at the beginning, but like the meta I bought at a hundred, that's now at three hundred and twelve. I'm out. Right, I, and, I approve. And, yeah. So uh, I, to be clear, and I said it at the beginning, this is about profit taking on things. I feel like I got very lucky on by buying at a good time. And not about exiting my stock portfolio, which I would never do. I passively invest in stocks. I'm holding them for decades, right? And and I still ha have Meta. But I just saw, like at market probably four minutes ago, it should have executed a market sell, literally, of half of my Meta position that I bought at 100 bucks. I also had bought, I mean, I have a chart, but people remember it. It seemed really dumb. But I also had bought it here uh, on this uh, test of the 200 and uh, at 230 on the weekly uh, MA on the way down. Uh, went all the way down to 88 bucks, but still held it because it was for my investment portfolio. But I, my, my argument is that I'm feeling like the narrative, even since you and I spoke last week, it's getting extremely exuberant. People are, people are getting really celebrating. Jerome Powell is a god. He pulled off his Volcker moment. Bears are dead. Can't go down. New highs by the third quarter. And I still see a potential recession coming and more Fed tightening. Maybe that's priced in, but starting to get a little worried. Then and, and the other point being everything is massively overbought. In the yeah. stock market. Well, the, at least on the, tech. One of the points I made yesterday was, you know, okay, we're we're pretty much out of bear narratives. We worked through uh inflation. We worked through the regional banks. We worked through uh there was liquidity that people were talking about. We we worked through like six different bear narratives. And the commonality between all of them was the bear narratives came before trying to, you know, predict price going down. And what's going to happen from here is, okay, bear narratives are gone, and the next bear narrative will come after price. The price is going to consolidate and drop, and then the narrative will come in to explain why that is happening, as opposed to trying to predict the, the pullback. And I absolutely agree. You know, we're, we're definitely seeing everybody's shifting to one side of the boat, and eventually that boat will tip and we'll see monthly consolidation. And so a name like Meta, you know, I was just talking yesterday. Meta is looking like it will have a blow off top and and lead to weekly consolidation sometime in the near term future. And so, yeah, you know, euphoria and exuberance is the time when you want to take profits. And I'm I'm all for rotating around. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I I'm not trying to sell the dead top, right? People should be clear on that. I, and the funny thing is, you'll tweet something like, "I'm selling Meta," and then when it goes up twenty more dollars, people will dunk on you and tell you that you were an idiot. But but that's not how I operate, right? Like that. It's enough. It's yeah. enough. And and to be frank, I didn't expect it to be here. What is it? You know, eight months after I bought it, or even less. I mean, six months, seven months after I bought it, a hundred bucks. I did not expect three hundred. And I don't think that this is going to rip to new all time highs at four or five hundred bucks. I just don't. And maybe I'm wrong, but like, it's enough. I mean, yeah. traders and, and investors should not expect to nail tops and bottoms. And I've sold every Bitcoin bull market a bit before the top and it has sent a good decision. So uh, yeah, we want to be selling it to euphoria and buying that fear. And, and that's the perfect example on that meta chart. Yeah. So here's the next question. I don't know if you have any charts uh, to pull up, but 
I, I do want to say everything's ripping in Bitcoin sideways. Are you surprised at this sort of lack of correlation? I'm not because I've always viewed it that way. But I think that the, right now you would have expected over past news that Bitcoin just trades like a risk asset. It's clearly decorrelated at this point. Yeah, uh, I'm going to pull up my screen here. We'll show the Bitcoin sideways range that everybody knows about. But um, it's it's clear for me that uh, Bitcoin yesterday. So yesterday we had the CPI reaction. It came in lower and we saw the dollar dump. And I've been watching this dollar weekly yeah. chart. Uh, the yeah, weekly it's such a breakdown. It's crazy. Yeah, big one. So, you know, new 52 week lows and the metals, gold, silver, finally shifting their momentum after two months of weakness. And so, you know, you're looking around at bulls in the market and you have to just say Bitcoin was one of the very few bull losers from yesterday. And it's definitely a little bit concerning for the bulls. You know, why are we participating? But it has happened, you know, in the recent past as well with, well, the NASDAQ, you know, the bulls were in complete control and back when we were pulling back here and then it just took, you know, one week to, to make it all up again. So we know there's that explosive potential behind it, but uh, a little bit, a little bit concerning for the bulls. As long as we hold twenty nine four, you know, we still have the bullish view just because of the the prevailing trends overall. But uh, bulls definitely would have hoped to be over thirty one point five thousand after today, after yesterday's action. And that's RSI you have there, I assume, correct? On the bottom, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, just looking at daily RSI, it, there was a massive bearish divergence there. Uh, you can see after it, the first top there at 31,000, I mean, I had it drawn, I can probably draw it again. And that hasn't been invalidated yet either for me. So I, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not euphoric about Bitcoin at this point because I think it has moved. I'm bullish on Bitcoin always, but I think it has moved as much as it was going to on that BlackRock news. So now like what, you know, if we're looking for a narrative or something, what's going to push us higher? I mean, we were overbought bearish divergence with RSI as clear as day. And nothing has changed that yet. So I, I wouldn't be surprised actually to see this range break down and give an opportunity to buy a bit lower. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. I would be on the weekly time frame if that were to happen. And, you know, if we set a higher low, anything above 24-7, that bottom from a, a month ago, then there's no major red flags. I like the EMA 12, so I would want to see the bulls hold that EMA 12 uh, to keep that consolidation on the healthy side. And then, you know, you have... I wouldn't call it a cup and handle, but just in the clear resistance zone. And then if you can bull flag under that, it exactly. lets the break. And that's yeah. what, uh, hey, that's what I'm looking for. When I say breakdown, I'm not talking about new lows. I mean, like maybe we get a chance to buy at 28.6 or 29 or something like that. And then uh, obviously everybody turns bearish and then then we rip up. I mean, the only just, reason that, yeah. Just a similar example of that, you know, unrelated chart. Well, not all completely unrelated, but this is ARKK, uh, the ETF, which for me represents high risk, high reward growth names. And it had the same thing where, you know, it stalled out at resistance. It got the bull flag on the weekly holding EMA 12, and then it got over that level. So weekly consolidation wouldn't be a major red flag. You just want to ensure that the retracement size holds that EMA 12 to keep resistance within striking distance. Yeah, I had a comment here. If dollar goes down, won't stocks go up, but Scott thinks Scott's are going down. Well, that's, first of all, I said, I'm taking profit. Right, I'm still holding my large stock position, but I think that we will see a significant correction, and I think that probably around this support, we'll see a bounce on the dollar before it heads down lower. Right, but I, like I said, I, there's a certain point at which I'm not questioning it; I'm just taking my money and running. There's still a recession coming, probably, guys. I don't know. Right, I, I still think the dollar eventually goes down to like 90 DXY. 
based yeah. on this kind of head and shoulders. I think it's going to trend down. This is a real breakdown here. I don't know, man. Let's see what happens when the Fed raises rates again in a few days. Yeah, there's definitely an inverse correlation between stocks and the dollar, but I find the the more clear and the stronger inverse correlations is, is of course, in commodities. So uh, this dollar breakdown definitely has me looking at gold and miners and even some uranium stocks and things like that, which are definitely benefiting from this. Yeah. Could you see a world where DXY continues to drop and stocks don't perform well? Um, to be honest, I'm not sure. Uh, I expect Either. the dollar to form a four-month higher low. I've been watching the four-month time frame more since the bear market of last year than I ever have. And there's a lot of space where that can form. You know, It can go down to the low 90s and still form that higher low. But uh, I expect you know, a higher low will form eventually. It's just a question of how much do we drop before that. And again, it's that EMA 12 that I keep using. And that helped me on the S&P 500 shift that mindset a bit. Well, you know, I was looking at this back at the end of last year. Yeah. This is an hourly chart. I'm bullish. So yeah, you got me with that one last last week. Yeah. Get, get rid of that, those narratives and just stick with the, the structure of the chart. And that definitely can help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, just people are clear because I know we're going to get dunked on when it continues to inevitably rise. But if you're trading and you make a whole ton of money, sometimes you just take some profit. And like I said, it only sold half. So I'm still going to ride the rest and, and see what happens with it. So what else are you trading right now? Now that you're seeing all this, we're really seeing, I mean, this DXY move, we've been waiting a year or more for this sort of breakdown below these lows. So it is yep. worth noting. It's important. Yeah, I've been uh, on the rotation plays uh, in terms of, you know, the growth names like ARKK that I mentioned, but also the Chinese names in terms of stocks. Uh, the Chinese stocks have been catching a bit over the last couple of weeks. And again, I just look at the long term timeframes and look at, OK, which names have not been participating in the bull market the last six months? And, you know, where are people going to look to say, oh, I was wrong. The bulls are fine and I want to put my money to work. And so I'm watching, you know, Baba is trying to shape up a, a long term monthly inverse headed shoulders. And that's the same pattern that coin is on the verge of confirming here. And ARKK just confirmed it as far as breaking the neckline, trying to get the move going. So pretty much watching to see can the Chinese names see that same kind of shift. And then you got, you know, Chinese EV stocks like XPEV that were just doing okay. nothing, just sideways. And then they're, you know, catching a bid and up 100% over the last month or so. So uh, I'm watching to, as long as the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ stay strong, I'm just looking at rotation. The weaker names that have not been performing, I'm watching for them to try and perform. So you're not selling stocks like me. Um, I am. I, am a, I, I don't blame that. Not yet. Not yet. But I am definitely, you know, one thing that I'll do is with my IRA positions currently at the moment, I have the same long-term mindset. And so one thing that I'll do is uh, psychologically as a day trader, I struggle to hold things long term. So rather yeah. than rather than leaving the door open for me to do that, I'll just say, I'm holding this. This is no touch, but I have cash in there that I will hedge. You know, I'll grab some SPXS or SQQQ uh, inverse three times ETF, where if I think there's a pullback, uh, then I won't touch the stocks that I you hedge. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. I yeah. have to psychologically, I have to shut it down because I will overtrade my long positions if I don't. There's people here asking, have you, do you watch Coinbase stock at all? Because I've seen a few people kind of request it. Yeah, there, there was a short squeeze without a doubt. We know everybody piled in on the you know SEC news and all that. And then shorts got smacked around a bit. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, a huge move up. It's it's been underperforming the the minor stocks, M A R A and Riot have been they've gone absolutely yeah, nuts. That's been my go to. 
And trading 101 is find things in sideways ranges and watch for the break because when the break takes place, you see volume and volatility, and that means you get opportunity. And this is just your prime example. This would be in a trading textbook of just range bound for six weeks, and then here we go. So uh, is if looking bullish, I prefer these other names, which are stronger. And again, on trading the- And we're getting sued by the, uh, by the SEC. Yeah, and that helps as well. Uh, and one one thing that to use trading before is if you want to compare names, just do you know MARA divided by coin. Which name should I have my money in? And if this is in an uptrend, that tells me MARA is stronger than coin. So that's an easy comparison. Uh, that that makes perfect sense. I'm looking at the coin chart right now, and as usual, these are over longer time periods that I like. But generally, just I mean, there's been bullish divergence every time that the bottoms of Tesla. I don't know if that that's my indicator. That's what I like, but uh, some people follow me, but. It's just the easiest signal. Now it has put it a, I mean, it might be historically overbought here. It's the most overbought it ever hit, actually. Yeah, a lot of things, a lot of things are due for weekly consolidation, certainly meta included. And so, you know, up at these levels, cautiously bullish. And then once, I mean, the S&P 500, I'm just pulling up the, the future. That's what we want to see is that the RSI cools off with price going sideways as opposed to dropping, which we see right. all the time. Right, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, the S&P 500 has been in a clear higher low uptrend for two months. So, I mean, I try and make trading as simple as possible. Nothing changes if we're in a daily uptrend. And when we lose it for the first time in two months, we can say things are changing. And so uh, that for me is going to be something that I'm keeping a close eye on. Because again, weekly consolidation is inevitable. Monthly, I mean, you look at the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ will eventually see monthly consolidation. And then what will happen psychologically is on social media, you'll see all the bears come out of the woodwork. I knew it. We were right. Here we go. And then we're just going to look for the monthly high yeah. So yeah, so it's a dead cat bounce, bull trap. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have Mike McGlone from Bloomberg on every Monday and he's been like, people are now dumping on him because he kind of, he's, you know, very bearish and believes, you know, we go into sort of like a great reset and, and all these things. But to his, to his credit, he said, it'll do this first. Like we'll get that 1929 massive bounce where everybody, and then, you know, you usually get these mind melting rallies, even if it is a bear market. So that's always kind of in the back of my head. But when I look at it objectively through simply through TA, I mean, things look good. They just do. Yeah. And one thing I always like to say is the bears are not sneaky. Like we see them coming. We see high bear volume. We see all major sectors dropping together instead of this rotation game that's been going on. And uh, we, we the signs are clear and in front of us when it happens. So trying to pinpoint the top again, I'm not trying to nail tops and I don't expect to be able to nail tops, but watching for the signs that the bears are showing up and then we'll react to it once that happens. For me, technical analysis is about reacting much less than it is about predicting. I I completely agree. And about managing risk for me, right? Just even if I'm using like unicorn dust or uh, and tea leaves or something, at least it gives me a reason to set a stop loss and to set a take profit into position size, right? That's yeah. why yeah, I think people get so caught up in what someone's strategy is or what their indicator is. It literally doesn't matter as long as it works for you and helps you manage risk. Yep, ac- absolutely. And and that's the key is the managing risk as- aspect is lots of people are learning. The bears learned it in 2021. The bulls learned it in 2022. The bears are learning it in 2023. So, uh, you know, the, the one thing that the market is really good at is going from fear to FOMO extremely quickly and vice versa. FOMO to fear extremely quickly. Amazing. Dad, any final thoughts before I let you go? Uh, just hammering that that point of of protecting and using stop losses for every trade idea. There's definitely a lot of people out there that were bearish from narratives and are in a lot of pain, but 
we just have to humble ourselves and, you know, take that hit to the ego and say, I was wrong and move on. Always have an invalidation level for any trade that you take. If this happens, I'm going to be wrong on what I thought would happen and I need to exit that trade. Do you want to be wrong or do you want to make money, right? I mean, do you want to be right or do you want to make money? The classic, classic sort of quote. And by the way, guys, Dan, you're going to be back every Thursday, right? Uh, yes. Yep, definitely. Oh, happy man. So awesome. I love your insight. I'm going to steal your trading view sign in the background at some point when you're sleeping. Uh, and I, everyone loves you here. So really psyched, guys. He's going to be here. So please follow him down below, Charting Guys. Is it the Charting Guys? Uh, uh, chart Guys. Oh, the Chart Guys, right. Chart Guys. See, I'm an idiot. Um, it said charting man, Dan. And so, uh, my mind went to charting instead of chart, but, and, and please subscribe to his YouTube, follow him, uh, really valuable content. And he's going to be here every, every single week. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And guys, yeah, obviously, uh, really excited. He's going to be here, you know, have other analysts on, and then they start to get that itch where you're like, maybe I should be buying stocks. No, but when I start to uh, have that feeling, I, I really am pretty, uh, pretty happy with my decision to take some profit here across the board. And I still, the funny thing is, is that uh, even if I take profit here, I still want to see stocks go up because that's really good for me, right? I think there's a lot of people who get the cognitive dissonance where they would rather be right. And then they feel like, oh, it went up and I could have made more, but I'm always making more money if the market goes up because I'm more an investor than a trader. Now, guys, of course, check out Meld. I'm actually recording a podcast randomly with their CEO uh, later this afternoon. But uh, if you haven't checked it out, get on the waiting list there. Absolutely uh, incredible platform because you can't get rug pulled like Mashinsky and Ehrlich and all those guys. I think people are just absolutely sick of what happened with the crypto industry over the last year. So they've built a way for it to be completely non-custodial. You keep your coins it's all controlled in your own wallet. You have fiat on and off ramps and can still participate in DeFi. Absolutely uh cool. You guys know that I wouldn't have uh, taken them on as a sponsor if I didn't really believe in it and do quite a bit of due diligence. They're also, I know, uh, working with Crypto Banter. Uh, a lot of people that uh, I trust and respect working with them. So, uh, you know, just check it out. Get on the waiting list. Guys, Twitter spaces in 25 minutes. That's why I'm going to jump because now we've got the Mashinsky news. We got to put together a panel to discuss that. We also have Ryan Selkis coming on from Masari, who's going to discuss his like 9,000 tweet thread yesterday of his entire uh, thesis on crypto for, for the coming six months. So it's going to be absolutely epic. You guys come check that out. I will see you over on Twitter spaces. And of course, back here tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you, legends. Peace. Let's go.